A Christmas without this sweet bread is barely a Christmas in Italy. Loathed or loved, the Milanese-born loaf is something everyone has in the kitchen at this time of year. Light, fragrant, and pleasantly rich, lovers of this bread relish its candied fruit aroma and its ultimate simplicity. Detractors dislike the raisins or lack of cream fillings, at least in its traditional variety. Making it is a labor of love, time, and luck. It's not simple to reach that perfect light buttery fluffiness we enjoy at home. Famous as it is, not many are aware of its fascinating history. Panettone is a cake of dreams, fit for an appearance in every fairy tale, not only because it's heavenly, but also because of the many legends surrounding its origin. Welcome to another serving of Seasons Eatings, the podcast which explores the history and origins of your favorite Christmas foods. Seasons Eatings can be found wherever you download your favorite podcast. Seasons Eatings is also found on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And if you love the show, then I humbly ask you to share this podcast with someone you think would love to hear more about the history of Christmas and the foods which shape the holiday we love so much. If you want to give me suggestions for future episodes, just email me at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com. All the links can be found in the show notes at seasonseatingspodcast.com. An entire city identifies itself with this sweet. It's important for Milan and for the Milanese, says Stanislaw Porzio, author of the book Panettone, and the founder and organizer of Repanettone, the national Italian festival devoted to the food. But it's also very important for bakeries throughout Italy. Panettone has become the typical Italian Christmas dessert. Panettone, the world-famous yeast leaven cake, whose sales reached their peak during the weeks before Christmas, has been forced into unfair competition, with inferior knockoffs baked abroad. Italy produced more than 7,100 tons of panettone each year, about 10% of which is sold internationally. It's a source of national pride and, since 2005, has been one of over 100 foods subject to a formal authentication process under Italian law. Within Italy, panettone has been considered a homegrown Lombard specialty since the 19th century. When cookbooks such as Giovanni Felice Laracci's 1853 Nuovo Cuoco Milanese Economico placed the roots of the original recipe firmly in the area around Milan. Panettone has actually been a worldly product from the very beginning. From the Middle Ages onward, the pastry was appropriate for a feast day precisely because it involved ingredients that were hard to come by. In the 14th and 15th centuries, wheat was a precious ingredient. It was so precious, in fact, that until the 14th century, 
Every bakery in Milan, except for one, made wheat bread only at Christmas, when they gave it to their clients. The rest of the year, people ate breads made from grains like spelt or oats. In 1470, Giorgio Valagusa, a tutor to the Sforza Dukes of Milan, described a Christmas Eve custom that the royal family, like other Milanese, celebrated. As a log burned in the fireplace, the family's patriarch would cut up three loaves of white bread, giving a slice to the other members of the family. After that, he'd save a slice for the next year. It was a sign of continuity, a sort of right, Porzio said. And on this bread, there was a cross. In the 15th century, the first panettone was made entirely from wheat flour, and thus more likely to impress the in-laws. And given the climate of northern Italy, additions like candied citron or orange peel would have to come by hundreds of miles away beyond, perhaps, even the borders of modern-day Italy. It would seem that in this part of the world, the Romans invented practically everything, so it's not surprising that they would be the geniuses behind the early origins of panettone. In the ancient Roman Empire, the Romans created a special rising dough bread recipe that used honey. It doesn't resemble the panettone of today, but early Romans are responsible for the principles behind the bread. This knowledge was passed down through the ages until it ended up in the city of Milan. I talk about the Roman influence on bread in my episode about Pizzella, that flat, crunchy Italian cookie that is used to decorate Christmas trees and formed into cones to hold gelato. The shape of the panettone is instantly recognizable. It has a cupola shape, which extends from a cylindrical base and is usually about 12 to 15 centimeters high for a panettone weighing around 1 kilo or about 2.2 pounds. Other bases may be used, such as an octagon or a frustrum with a star section shape more common to a pandoro. It is made during a long process that involves curing the dough, which is acidic, similar to a sourdough. Then the proofing process alone takes several days, giving the cake its distinctive fluffy characteristics. It contains candied orange, citron, and lemon zest, as well as raisins, which are added dry and not soaked. Many other variations are available, such as plain or with chocolate. It's served in wedge shapes, vertically cut, accompanied with a sweet hot beverage or a sweet wine, such as a Asti or a Moscato. In some regions of Italy, it's served with a crema di marscapone, a cream made from marscapone cheese, eggs, sometimes dried or candied fruits, and typically a sweet liquor, such as an amaretto. If marscapone cheese is unavailable, Zabione is sometimes used as a substitute. Though the etymology of the word panettone is rather mundane, three more complex and fanciful folk etymologies have arisen. It is also thought that one of the ecclesiastical brothers, Father Antonio, who always wore the proper hat, was fond of this panne. The ecclesiastical hat panettone was later adopted as the shape, which also gave rise to panettone. This derivation received credence and acceptability at the turn of the century and is likely to be the forerunner of the more recent Christmas cake. Gianrian Carli in Il Café makes passing reference to a panettone in 1850 in discussion with Pietro Verri and alludes to a clerical hat. However, the first written attestation of panettone as we know it, minus the East, dates to the Renaissance and ties the specialty directly to the court of the Sforza in Milan. 
It was their preceptor, Giorgio Valagusa, who mentioned in 1470 it was traditional to keep a piece of sweet leavened bread from Christmas to the next, as it was thought to bring luck. If you are after other written accounts related to the glory of Panettone, you will have to fast forward almost four centuries and look into Cherubini's Milanese Italian Dictionary. It was in 1839, and the Panettone de Natale was recorded as a type of bread made with butter, eggs, sugar, raisins, and sultanas. No signs of candied fruit, and as said already, no sign of yeast, which was to appear in the recipe only in the 1850s. As customary for all kings and icons, Panettone's origins are often recounted in a legendary fashion. Once upon a time, the first of these many tales goes, young Ugetto Delgi Atelani fell in love with beautiful Adalgisa, the daughter of a village baker. So strong was Ugetto's desire to spend time with her, he pretended to be a pastry chef to get a job at her dad's bakery. Unfortunately, a series of misfortunes happened to the baker all at once. He started losing many clients, another bakery opened up nearby, then the bakery boy fell ill, and Algagisa was forced to do all the heavy chores. Then Ugeto had an idea. He offered himself as the baker boy and thought to improve the bread by adding some butter to the dough. But there was no money to buy butter. No problem. The young man sold a couple of beautiful hawks and bought the butter he needed. It was an immediate success and grew even more when Ugeto added some sugar to its recipe. Some glutton found out and the word got around in the neighborhood. Ghetto, happy to see a smile again upon his lover's lips, one night added some candied citron and eggs to part of the dough, which was ready for cooking. It was a very special bread, and everyone liked it. At Christmas, the young man had another idea and added some raisins. It was a huge success. Naturally, at this point, Ghetto and Algaigisa's dreams came true, and they could get married. Their secrets soon became common knowledge. Soon enough, in every block, bakers made big shapes and big quantities of the sweet bread with raisins. As it often happens to the brave, he struck success when, in an attempt to save the bakeries from bankruptcy, he changed the recipe of its bread to something richer, made with flour, eggs, butter, sugar, and sultanas, the first panettone. Needless to say, it was a success. The bakery gained all its clients back, and Ugeto and Algagisa lived happily ever after. On occasions, you may hear Panettone was not the brainchild of Ugetto, but a nun called Ugetta. Ugetta lived in a small convent on the verge of financial ruin. There was very little to celebrate Christmas with, but Sister Ugetta was not the type to surrender to life hardships so easily. Stubbornly, she decided herself and her sisters were to have a lovely Christmas in spite of the lack of food or money. She went into the kitchen, made up a cake of all the leftover ingredients she could find. Before putting it in the oven, she put a cross on top of it and gave it particularly four-section dome shape once baked. Do you recognize it? Yes, it was the first panettone. Another story tells of an absent-minded chef in charge of preparing Ludovico's Imoro Sforza's Christmas dinner. That night, at the castle of Sforzesco, a big party was given with music and dance, a luxurious banquet that had to finish with a dessert. The art of dessert-making was a very special art at that time. 
it showed the quality of the kitchen of the seniority and especially the skills of the head chef of an important family. For that occasion, the chef had prepared a special dessert. But this, alas, had suddenly burned and was all pieces of coal. How to fix it? Dessert! Dessert! demanded loud of the guests. What to do? In the court, kitchen people were terrified. The Duke's wrath was going to be terrible. Back then, they would put you to death for reasons far more futile for this. The head chef was scared to death. He was going to get the worst punishment. Tony, the little scullery boy, approached the head chef and with a trembling voice said, With the leftovers, what you use for the big dessert, I made my own dessert. I added a few eggs and a little sugar, a bit of raisins and citron. It's a simple dessert for me and some friends of mine that are gathering tonight at my house. If you want it, there it is. And he pointed to a big bun, well, made with a big cupola of brown crust. The chef looked at it with great suspicion, but from that dough was coming out a very enticing aroma. And after all, he didn't have much choice. That is, there was nothing else to send up to the table of the Duke's guests, who were protesting louder and louder. He decorated the little scullery boy's dessert, put it on a large golden tray, and had it sent to the party hall. Suddenly a big applause saluted the entrance of the unusual cake. The Duchess cut the first slice, and in a few moments the whole cake was devoured. A chorus of praises raised from everyone at the table. The praises soon turned into enthusiastic acclamations. The chef's heart quieted down. Bravo! What a novelty! What a good dessert! The Duke himself wanted to pay his compliments to the chef, who was the only one who could figure out the reason of all its great success. Naturally, no one said anything about what happened. The little scullery boy, astonished and scared, was hiding in a corner. But the truth came out eventually, and Tony's bread, El Pan de Tony, was on everybody's mouth. Everybody was talking about this new cake and its incredible sweet taste, popular and aristocratic at the same time. Thus, El Pan de Tony soon turned into Paneton, as we know today. A cake living between history and legend, which has lovers and detractors, but never fails to appear on Italian tables during this time of year. Its taste a synonym of self of the Italian Christmas season. We'll find out how the modern panettone is made after the break. What's your favorite guilty pleasure? Is it watching cheesy Christmas romances, no matter what time of year it is? For Holly Cuomo and Scarlett Alexandra, this is it. These two host the Netflixmas podcast, where they talk about the best, the worst, and the cringiest Christmas romances from all your favorite streaming services. You can listen today on Spotify, iTunes, and Podbean. And don't forget to check out their Patreon for bonus episodes. Have a very merry Netflixmas and a sappy new year. Hi everyone, I'm Dwayne from the Tinsel Tunes Podcast. And I have a questionably unhealthy obsession with Christmas, and I love Christmas music. So come with me on a journey as I go into detail about the history and stories behind a wide range of Christmas music. 
For instance, did you know that Silent Night has the honour of being the most recorded Christmas song of all time? And it has been recorded over 137,000 times by separate artists. Or that White Christmas was actually written in the height of summer. Each song, either recent or a golden oldie, has a background and I want to share them with you. Come join us for our second season and listen at tinseltunes.com. We are on all the main podcast services or you can find us with a simple Google search. Also follow us on all the social networking platforms and I hope to interact with you soon. Despite some similar traditions, 15th century Panettone looked little like today's. It isn't until the 19th century that we can be sure it began to look similar to ours. In an 1839 Italian Milanese dictionary, the entry for Panettone describes the recipe as including butter, eggs, sugar, and raisins. Until the end of the 19th century, it was still a food that, for the most part, you'd only encounter in Milan. Then came Angelo Motta. In the early 20th century, two enterprising Milanese bakers began to produce panettone in large quantities for the rest of Italy. In 1919, Angelo Matta started producing his eponymous brand of cakes. It was also Matta who revolutionized the traditional panettone by giving its tall dome shape by making the dough rise three times for almost 20 hours before cooking, giving its now familiar light texture. The recipe was adapted shortly after by another baker, Giocino Alamagna, around 1925, who also gave his name to a popular brand that still exists today. The stiff competition between the two that then ensued led to an industrial production of the cake. Panettone was not born as a homemade cake, nor it has ever been, says Stanislaw Porzio, a food scholar and author of a 2007 book on the subject. It was never important that the place of provenance of the ingredients be near the place of preparation. In other words, nothing is inherently inauthentic about a panettone made in the Western Hemisphere. In the 1930s, when Angelo Motta was installing a 100-foot conveyor belt in his bakery in Milan's Vial Corsica to create what Porzio calls the first industrial panettone, an entrepreneur named Antonio Donofrio had already established a market for the pastry in Lima, Peru, where thousands of immigrants from Piedmont and Lombardy had arrived since the mid-1800s. Today, the brands of Mata and Donofrio, now owned by Nestle, compete in the Peruvian marketplace, where slices of panettone inflected with bits of dried papaya is a suite of choice for both Christmas and Independence Day, celebrated in July. Italy may dominate in global panettone consumption at a rate of 75 million cakes purchased in 2016, but Peruvian fans are no less sincere. They consumed 42 million panettone in the same year, sometimes enjoying variations like cocaton, which is about 5% of the flowers made from coca leaves, or by incorporating a fruit edible fungus native to the pine forest around Labayaque. One of the reasons industrialization took over is that making panettone by hand is an extreme challenge, one that requires equal parts skill, science, artistry, and patience. The most important ingredient, the natural yeast, is very difficult to work with. It is very temperamental, Porzio said, 
you have to be very attentive to the temperature, the humidity, and the climate. The kind of yeast most of us use today wasn't introduced into bread making until the 1700s. Instead, panettone makers like sourdough bread makers rely on harnessing microorganisms in the flour, water, and air. But what Italians called the lievito madre, the starter culture, in which in Italian literally and poetically means mother yeast, isn't just difficult to care for. It requires a great deal of coaxing. Several weeks before they begin to make panettone, bakers start reinforcing the lievito madre, feeding and kneading it three times a day with flour and water. They have to keep checking both its acidity and the temperature. Professional bakers use machines which check the temperature for them. The mother yeast gives the bread its irreplaceable texture and sweet, almost imperceptibly tangy flavor. If any of it is off, or even if the flour has a greater or lesser gluten content than it should, the bread may not rise at all, have an odd texture or taste sour. Refreshing the lievito madre, of course, is only the start of the process. After, it's time to make the dough. Along with the starter, flour, sugar, water, egg yolks, salt, and butter are beaten together. The dough rises for about 12 hours, still at 28 degrees Celsius. Then it gets another addition, more flour, salt, water, butter, and eggs, as well as the candied peels and raisins. It rises again. Some bakeries then even do a third rising. Bakers making panettone have dark circles under their eyes because they're sleeping very little, and they sleep little because they have to interrupt the rising at certain points to make sure it's not too acidic, Porzio said. Saffron yellow with the butter, the dough finally is shaped into round patties, then placed into a ring of paper with a bottom, a mold called a pirotino. Before the pirotino was invented, the job of making the paper surrounding the panettone usually fell to one of the children. It was their job to oil the strips of paper that would be wrapped around the dough, giving it its shape to prevent it from spreading out. But the strips had to be oiled by hand, and each one had to be peeled off the cake after it was done, and often the bottom of the panettone would be burned. It was the late 1950s, and the person who invented the pirotino was Angelo Mattioni a paper producer. Mattioni's creation, which no longer needed to be buttered or removed, made the entire process faster and simpler, and was one more reason that the sweet became an either easier product to streamline in factories. Even at the end of the entire process, after the panettone is baked, there's one last step that can break or make the cake. If it's taken out of the oven and left as it is, it will collapse like a souffle. A baker has about 20 seconds to flip each one, which ensures the top doesn't fall. In sales, Italian confectioners have been outpaced for a long time by companies like Bodocho, another multi-generational enterprise founded in the 1950s by an Italian immigrant to Brazil. The company is probably the biggest panettone producer on earth, making more than 200,000 tons each year from more than 50 countries and operating six industrial bakeries, even one in the United States. By the end of World War II, panettone was cheap enough for anyone and soon became the country's leading Christmas sweet. Lombard immigrants to Argentina, Uruguay, Paraguay, Venezuela, and Brazil also brought their love of panettone. 
and panettone is enjoyed for Christmas with hot cocoa or liquor during the holiday season, which became a mainstream tradition in those countries. In some places, it replaces the king cake. Panettone is widely available in South America, including Argentina, Brazil, Chile, Ecuador, Colombia, Uruguay, Venezuela, Bolivia, Paraguay, and Peru. It's known in Spanish as panetón, or panedolce, and as panetón in Brazilian Portuguese. Peru's Antonio Donofrio, son of immigrants hailing from Caserta, spawned his own brand using a modified form of the Alemania formula. For example, candied papaya is used instead of candied citron and lemon, as these fruits are not available in Peru, which he licensed along with the packaging style. This brand is now owned by Nestle and imported through South America. Panettone is popular within Italian communities in the US, Canada, Australia, and the UK. But don't finish off your panettone completely during the holiday season. Not everyone you ask in Milan knows that you're supposed to save a slice of panettone at Christmas to eat on the 3rd of February. And even if they don't do it themselves, a few of the younger people don't do it anymore, they can tell you the story why. According to legend, San Biagio, or Saint Blaise, saved a child who was choking on a fish bone by giving him a piece of bread. And so along with the list of other talents, such as including protecting farmers, mattress makers, and forests, he is said to also protect throats. Some people still pray to him when they feel a sore throat coming on. On the feast day held in his honor, the 3rd of February, many people eat a slice of panettone that they saved from Christmas to eat now. The bread, long dried out, is often toasted and eaten with butter. For Italians, panettone cake is all about memories. One bite is all it takes to bring back happy memories of the holidays with friends and family. Typically served with a dessert wine like Marsala, panettone makes a comforting midday treat or an after-dinner delight that the whole family can enjoy. Include panettone in your holiday cornucopia and get ready to treat yourself to the authentic taste of old world Italy. Seasons Eatings has created some great items for your holiday gift giving. We have shirts, mugs, tote bags, and more. Just head on over to SeasonsEatingsPodcast.com, click on the Merchandise tab at the top, and find your next great holiday gift. Thank you for listening to this serving of Seasons Eatings. Seasons Eatings is available on Apple Podcasts, Google, TuneIn, Stitcher, Deezer, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. Please, if you can leave a review about the show so we can spread the Christmas cheer. And if you let me know you've left a review, I'll send you a Seasons Eating sticker as a personal thank you. Also, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email at seasonseatingspodcast at gmail.com. And I know we all get busy. So even sharing this podcast with someone you know who loves Christmas would be a great help. And if you're feeling extra generous this season, you can buy me an eggnog. Head on over to SeasonsEatingsPodcast.com and click on the little cup in the corner. Each small donation helps with the daily running of the podcast and is greatly appreciated. 
Thank you for listening and tune in again for another serving of Seasons Eatings. All music for Seasons Eatings is used under a Creative Commons license.